Chapter 4 The Black Tower The first rays of purple were rising in the eastern sky by the time Voslo managed his way through the announcements and courtesies that run ahead of entering any lord's estate. When at last they made their way to the portcullis, the garrisoning station, and across the dull, sandy courtyard, a young man appeared with a face full of apologies. The duelist, in a glance, knew he must be a steward of the house. He wore a tan velvet tunic, secured by a fashionable leather belt to the hips with a large green opal set in the buckle. His hands weren't covered in grime, and his face wasn't stained by dust, though he bore the tan skin of anyone in the southern reach. Green eyes matched the jewel in his belt, and he bore no sword or armor. He wore a necklace of small silver skeletons, linked head to toe with one another. "'I'm afraid our lord of Bradhall still rests in his chambers,' the young man announced with practiced distress. He wishes to break fast with you when the sun is over the eastern wall, however, and invites you to rest in his guest suite until then, or to make yourself comfortable otherwise anywhere in the castle. Vaslo leaned back and stared up at the towering dark rectangle of a building in front of him, its top already starting to catch some faint signs of orange light. The famed Black Tower of Bradhall. He wondered if the guest suites were high in that building, or, mercifully, at ground level instead. Sir? the steward asked. It's even uglier when you're right up on it, Voslo said, bending forward a little to pop something in his back. I'll take some water and whatever room is close. I'll not be climbing to anywhere, if you take my meaning. The steward nodded, then brushed his blonde hair back over his ears. There is a page's room that should fit your needs well. I shall have water sent. And fresh clothes. He said the latter with a slight twitch to his lips. Send what you like, the duelist said, and send a man to the inn at East Cross to inquire about a fellow, Corey Rush by name. He is my travelling companion, and if Lord Braden means to keep me, he'll need to provide for Corey too. Have him brought and given a suitable room. Fetch my weapon belt as well, from the guards at the eastern gate. The steward bowed dramatically. I will send a man on horse, and shall alert our lord when he awakens as well. There should be no problem in accommodating your friend, and the gatesmen know me well enough. Travelling companion, Voslo corrected, then eyed the eastern horizon for a moment. And maybe give it an hour before you send someone. Corey arrived in time to change clothing and to wash his hands and face before the two were called to break fast with the lord of the castle. The very first thing out of his mouth had been, I've never met a lord, excitedly, without so much as a question about the locket that had interrupted their evening. Only once they were walking down the long hallway did he think to ask about it. Who is it? Voslo asked, dropping the silver locket into his hand. Who is... Corey raised an eyebrow. Then it struck him. You opened it. The duelist cleared his nose into a small kerchief. The South always gave him dry boogers that grabbed onto his nose hairs, as though they understood the great height they would fall from otherwise. It took him a moment to find a pocket for the rag, as these were not his clothes. The steward had provided a yellow sleeveless tunic with red breeches that fit much too snug for comfort. Wanted to see what all the fuss was about, he answered. Corey slipped the leather necklace over his head and tucked the silver beneath his own blue tunic, which he looked far more comfortable in than Voslo. My father, he said. You've lost him, or... The merchant nodded. He has lost to me some fifteen years now. Gone to peace. Gone to peace, Vosler said thoughtfully. In the south and east, you went to peace. And in the north or west, you took the long sleep. No one anywhere ever plainly said that a man had died. Death seemed a fitting subject, though, in the shadowy halls of the great keep they were walking through. Light came from braziers and torches, and sometimes gleamed in through an arrow hole that opened to the outside world. But it was otherwise ominous like the sigil of the family that ruled it. I was very young, Corey continued, though that had been obvious to Voslo. Not a youth of ten when he was killed. 
Your mother had it difficult, then, Vaslo said, still fussing with his breeches to see if some string or clasp might help him loosen it just a little. His arms and shoulders were still lean enough, but with greater years had come a greater belly. She died in childbirth, Corey said grimly, his lips pressing into a straight line. I was raised by my father's serving woman, who I kept at the estate until I was sixteen. Vaslo never knew what to say to such things, so he took his preferred course of saying nothing. Only a moment later they followed the steward through two large wooden doors and into a small courtyard, different than the one he had walked through when first entering the castle. Relief washed over them with the morning sunlight. He had been somewhat worried that they were going to eat in a room as dimly lit as the halls had been. Instead, they now found themselves in a well-watered courtyard, with blooming yellow and white and red flowers, and a single tall date tree sprawling its limbs across the western side. A servant girl was plucking the beige fruits from a low branch and dropping them into a woven basket. The steward moved towards a tall and long-running pergola, whose bowers were draped in thick vines with dark green leaves, ornamented by small red flowers. In its shade there was a wide and dark stone table, and sitting on its far side, eating a plum greedily, was a middle-aged man flanked by a comely woman. He wore a tan summer's tunic, sleeveless like Voslo's, with the skull general emblem embroidered over the left of his chest. A great chain of gold hung about his neck, and his head was covered by a grey cap. The woman with him was in a green silk gown, and with her bright red hair, almost seemed like a part of the nature that surrounded them. The steward cleaned his throat and adopted a heraldic tone. "'You have the honour of meeting his lordship, only Brayden, Lord of Bradhall, Master of the Black Tower, Land Baron of Kemp, of Lorne, of Rakeris, of Ulusan, and steward of the Orlac River and its mouth by the grace of the king. You also have the honour of meeting Our Lady of Bradhall, Sir Nisoln Brayden, daughter of Grand Duke Dezesoln. Vaslo thought the skinny man might never finish, but then he gestured towards he and Cory. My lord, the duelist Vaslo Stepman and his, uh, his friend. The corsa took off his blue cap and held it over his heart. He bowed in the Belmaran fashion, and eyes on the ground, said, I am Cory Rush, my lord and lady, Vaslo's business partner. It is an honor indeed. Only Braden wiped dark plum juice from his lips and clean-shaven chin. Sit. He gestured towards a series of bowls, each containing different fruit, or else dried dates. Eat something. Everything about Lord Braden seemed middling. He was of middle height, average weight for a lord, somewhat tan, and neither handsome nor entirely plain. His voice was not high or low, and his eyes seemed almost, but not quite, blue. It was a striking contrast to his wife. Lady Braden's neck stretched too tall, and atop it was a face that seemed too small for the large blue eyes that were set in it. Her nose was long, her lips were thin, but her red hair was thick with swooping curls that were gently listing in the morning breeze. Corey immediately grabbed a fistful of dates and started working at them with a fury, tearing their pits out with his teeth and spitting them onto the grass. Vaslo was too tired to be hungry, though. His tiredness had reached that point where the eyes hurt, the face hurts, the stomach is nauseous, and one fights to keep his eyes open. Some fresh water will do for me, he said, sitting. My lord, he added quickly. Lord Braden raised a hand and motioned a serving boy over, who carried a copper pitcher and a plate of similar copper cups. He poured a cup for Voslo, and when the duelist tasted it, he was grateful for its coldness. The castle is built over a cold spring, Lady Braden said with a smile, perceiving the relief that must have been plain on his face. We have no want for cold water here, except that it is satisfied. Voslo swallowed it all down, and the boy refilled his cup. That was a smart idea, someone had. While he drank, he could not help but remember the blonde innkeeper from East Cross. She had told them that water was harder to get than wine. Conric Braden, Lord Braden said. My ancestor. 
He built Brad Hall out of nothing. Everyone said he was mad, but he said that where there was water, there would be people. He was right, and now I've done it too. The Purge left Brad Hall smoldering ruin, and now I've turned it into the trading hub of the entire Southern Reach. Try to find fresh water a dozen leagues either direction. I tell you, just try. As though to accentuate his point, he held his cup up, his fingers covered in plum juice, and the serving boy poured fresh water into it. Vaslo nodded, and wondered how much Lord Braden was earning from selling water to the poor folk. The wagons of barrels coming and going from the castle, he realized now, were more likely water than wine. You're not wearing your doulas, Ben. Lord Braden wiped the purple-red wetness from his hands on a tan kerchief. Vosler regarded his left shoulder and frowned. It seemed a waste to put a hole in someone else's shirt, and one so fine as this. Their host laughed loudly at that. It seems to me you've no problem putting larger holes than that into other people's shirts. Seems to me... He coughed from the laughing. Seems to me you've made rather a living out of it. Or have you? I've heard mixed opinions as to how doulas turn their shill. Some have called it a rich trade. The richest, as what you are trading is your life, Vosler said, grimly. It is an odd matter. The challenger wages a certain amount to the challenged, who, if he accepts, must do the same. The shill are handed over before the fight, either directly to the other duelist, or else to their second if they have one. Obviously, the challenged duelist must also have the shill available, hence the negotiating. After the duel, the victor is entitled to both purses. Fascinating, the Lady of Bradhall said without any facial expression at all. And do men lose their lives over coppers? Vaslo shook his head. No, my lady. The Justicant has rules that govern the entire process of legal dueling, and as minimums decided by rank. A novice duelist must be challenged for no less than an Electrum shill. A journeyman duelist must be challenged with at least a silver shill, though most would not agree to a wager so low. A master duelist, like myself, cannot be challenged for less than a golden shill. Out of respect to the challenger, and to his family and estate, we rarely ask for more than that. Still, I will admit, because of my reputation, and because I am slow to accept a challenge these days, I am usually offered more. A rich profession indeed, Lord Braden belted out, his eyes wide with surprise. And you say family men engage in this art as well. That is hard to believe. Voslo agreed, but still, he knew the reason well enough. If a duelist lives long enough to become a master, he will likely leave behind a fortune that outlives himself. A street orphan from the slums of Tijeras might, in time, win a fortune that rivals the wealth of a noble-born son. Might earn enough to have a family and leave them well off. Estates are made of this sometimes, and even lesser noble families. Hmm, yes, Lord Braden said with some distaste. The so-called blood estates. A family estate that begins in so much blood is a dark omen, ill-conceived and ill-fated, the lady said as a matter of fact. Voslo grimaced, but then had the good sense to straighten his lips. It seems to me, if you will forgive me, my lady, that most estates and noble families have bloody beginnings. Except our Lord of Bradhall, Corey quickly added, whose fortune and family stem from good business. Yes, indeed, Lord Braden affirmed. It was quiet for a minute then. There was the steady sound of trickling water coming through the mouth of a lion that had been carved into one of the walls which gathered in a small pool and then ran out into various plant beds. Cory drank from his cup and wiped the stick of the dates from his fingers. Lady Brayden sat with her hands folded in her lap, looking agreeably at no one, with a practiced polite smile on her face. Only Brayden looked like he was about to break the silence when, from the southern side of the courtyard, the large doors came open. The steward, who Vosla had not even noticed leaving in the first place, entered from the dark hallway into the courtyard with two people flanking him. 
One was a tall knight with short brown hair and dark eyes. He wore a padded gambeson with squares of yellow and black patched onto it alternately, showing three yellow bundles of wheat on the black squares. A yellow cape was thrown casually over his left shoulder. He looked to be perhaps forty in years, and next to him was a young man of perhaps fifteen, who was no doubt serving as squire. The younger man also had brown hair, and wore the same colors on a surcoat that covered padded leathers. Vaslo didn't know who the man was, but he knew he must be noble-born, and he knew you're supposed to get on your feet when a noble enters a room, so he did. Not as quickly as Cory, though, who immediately offered a small bow. Those are the pica colors, Cory whispered under his breath, and Vaslo recognized the name. Vaslo realized then that as a courser, Cory likely had to know the colors and sigils of many different significant families and lands in order to effectively work his trade. Captain Julwyn Piker, my lord, the steward announced. The soldier offered the typical Belmarin bow, a curled fist held over his heart, bent at the waist with a straight back, his eyes cast down. My lord, he said, standing back up. Sir Julwyn, only Brayden said, dipping his fingers into a small water saucer and then wiping them dry. You were gone longer than expected. We were intercepted on the road by a unit riding out from Belays, flying the standards of the Grand Duke, the captain explained. There was an uprising in Fairglen, and as the Grand Duke's forces are currently lent to the royal capital, or else stretched along the thin ash for patrol, he was in demand for the effort of putting the uprising down. We were ordered to assist Captain Ulrich in the endeavor. As Fairglen borders your lands, my lord, I thought it would be useful to search the area for sympathizers of the southern heretic. It was my lands I bid you patrol and search out, I'll remind you, and not my father-in-law's, Lord Brayton said. Still, I'll allow that your reasoning was not unfounded. What is the report, then? Have the lion's heretics infiltrated as far as eastern Solmar? Are they at our doorstep? He motioned to the serving boy to bring water to the captain and his squire. Sir Julwyn shook his head. As far as we were able to tell, my lord, the rioting in Fairglen was incited by some smith's boy, and simply gained momentum from there. Was he questioned? Lord Brayden asked. Yes, my lord. We handed him over to Confessor Rollo, who put him to the question for an evening, and decided he was guilty of inciting treasons against the Concordant and the King, but that he was not a heretic, nor affiliated with them. The captain took a copper cup and thirstily drank it down, his squire following in kind. After wiping his mouth, he said, He will be given thirty lashes, and left in the stockades for four days. But the Confessor did not sentence him to death. Lady Sereni saw Braden laid her long fingers on the hairy thick forearm of her lord. We have forgotten our manners, my lord husband, she said sweetly. Voslo and Cory had been standing there the entire time, since courtesy demanded only to sit once acknowledged. Lord Braden cleared his throat. Ah, yes, Sir Julwyn, we are honored to host the master duelist Voslo Stepman this morning, and his, um, his friend. Cory Rush, good sir, the merchant offered with another bow. Sir Julwyn scanned them for a moment, before offering a simple head nod of respect. I saw you duel so groaned of Marshwater Keep when I was still a young man. He perceived that you had wounded his honor in some way, a claim which all men who were there call false. You conducted yourself both honorably and mercifully, choosing your wooden weapon against his steel. Vaslo tilted his head a moment and thought. As he got older, details became mistier, but after a moment he remembered this Sir groaned of Marshwater. No man deserves to die for having a delicate ego he said. And he was not a duelist. He challenged me as one man to another, and so I was able to ignore some rules and fight him with my wooden sword, though he chose steel for himself. A mercy, Sir Julwyn again acknowledged, then turned his eyes back to Olney Brayden. If there is nothing else, my lord, I am to leave for your southernmost lands by the afternoon, and to search out as far as Ulusan and the Orlac. We must be vigilant in our efforts against heresy. 
Lord Braden winced at that and held a steadying hand up towards the captain. That is well. I ask only that you be kind to the people of Ulusan. Some still keep the old faith there, but they are a pleasant people that have never given me reason to be harsh. Save your ire and your pursuit of heresy for this lion fellow and his ilk. Also, do not bring the confessor there with you. He'll cause problems. The captain offered another deep bow. As my lord commands. He resecured the cape over his left shoulder, then abruptly turned and marched in a straight line from the courtyard, his squire and the steward trying to keep up. He's got some iron in him, Vosler said as he sat back down. Lord Braden nodded. He's a hard man, a veteran of the war against the Darkland Coalition. His father is a hard man too, and the Lord of Summerwood, but a loyal vassal to myself and to his king. Still, we must not always be hard. Tell me, Master Duelist, have you ever been to Ulusan? No, he answered. The Deep South disagrees with my skin and my joints, even when I was a young man. They just stint there during the Battle for the Badlands, as they call it now, and that was enough for me. Lord Braden motioned for a serving girl who was in the shade off to the side, and she came forth with a silver pitcher, and from it poured wine into his copper cup. He took a sip and sighed. When King Eric led the purge some fifty years ago, it came only as far as Bradhall. My siblings and I had fled the city months earlier with our Lord Father and Lady Mother in the aftermath of violent riots. Most of the King's purge occurred without any resistance. It swept through small villages in the countryside where the old faith was still practiced quietly. It murdered women and children and old men after catching them by surprise. It was a dark happening, Vaslo agreed, though his tiredness made him wonder when all this conversation would end. I remember it. Then he said a little more grimly, I remember it well. I was too young to remember it well, Lord Brayden admitted and continued. My older brother Topin, gone to peace now, he told me the story. He said in Bradhall, as a response to the purge, many freemen came together and made something of a militia. They overwhelmed the guards who had been left by my lord father, plundered the armory and barracks, and secured the gates and walls. They fletched arrows and set bowmen. When Marshal Aaron Belfort arrived with his forces and confessors, he met a well-garrisoned fort of rebels. They took the city and the Black Tower eventually, but were unprepared for a siege, and lost men both to battle as well as disease and exhaustion. Thus, right here in Bradhall, the deadly purge ended. Before he could reform another army for it, the council successfully begged and convinced King Eric to end the bloody ordeal. So it never reached Ulusan, or the other towns and villages that rung along the waters of the South Orlac River, Cory said, as though he was familiar with the story. I've been through Ulusan with my wares before, and you speak right, to call them a good people. They do hold the old faith, though, and unless my memory betrays me, they even still have a temple there. Yes, um... Cory, was it? Lord Braden dug his fingers around in a bowl and pulled out a few dates. Cory Rush, my lord, the merchant said. Yes, you were quite right. There is a temple there. I cannot know for certain, but some say it is the last temple anywhere in the Concordant. Not to the Seven, mind you, but to the Elrin Eight. Only Braden snapped his fingers at the serving girl. Them too, girl. Go on now. She bowed her head low and quietly made her way around the table, pouring both Voslo and Cory some wine. Cory Rush, the Lord of Bradhall repeated the name. I am unfamiliar with your surname, and you do not seem to bear any device or particular colours. Where did you say you were from? I did not, my lord. I am from Caldwell, a village perhaps ten leagues south of Evenbrook, on the Volta coast, Cory explained. My father gained some wealth as a mercenary in the war against the Darkland Coalition, and fought at the Battle for the Badlands under the banner of our land baron, Lord Harold Bellandas. I'm sure you know him. 
Captain Vika Sedkaze gave him first loot after the Battle of Tiber Hill for his heroic feats against the enemy. First loot is a great honor for a mercenary, Lord Brayton said thoughtfully. You are so Morin, then. The merchant took a deep draw from his cup and clearly relished the taste of the wine. I am, my lord. After my father went to peace, I took up the lifestyle of a corsair. I always had a head for numbers and merchandise, and a tongue for haggling. I thought this a better use for the last of his wealth than just drinking it away. Wise. Enterprising, Olney said. Well, then you've seen other people in the far stretches of Solmark and be, he continued. The Braden family is an ancient family. We were here in Bradhall before the Nine Kings kneeled to the High King Eden Belrays. Centuries before that, my ancestor built the Black Tower here, and fought together alongside Balin Elrin. Centuries before that, even, my ancestors served the last Queen of Oristan, in an era where the Southern Reach was a single distinct country. The antiquity of my line, I will admit it, gives me a weakness and a compassion for those who remember how to say the words that are now forbidden to say, in front of idols and images that are now forbidden to have. The lady's lips pushed together into a terse, thin line, and she seemed to squeeze his arm when she said, What my lord husband means to say is that we uphold the light of reason and live by the book of proofs. And we order all of our countrymen to do the same. Still, even we cannot root out superstition in all our lands, and in such cases we prefer education to violence. Vaslo waved the thought off. I'm no confessor, my lady. Live and let live. That's my motto. Lord Braden nearly spit out his wine and snorted a rough laugh. <laughs> live and let live. <laughs> what a motto for a duelist. I did not take you for a man of humor. Vaslo shrugged and finished his wine. My lord and lady of Bradhall, I thank you for your hospitality this morning. I have been awake the entire night and until now. If there is nothing else pressing, I would beg your leave, so that I might rest and enjoy the chambers you have graciously allowed me. The duelist was periodically invited to be the guest of lords and ladies, and when pressed, he could be properly courteous enough. There is just one thing, the lord of Bradhall said. I invited you here to ask if you might accept a duel in our great hall. Not today, mind you, but in a week's time. You would be our guest until then, and for as long as you might need rest afterwards. I will see to any mending your armor or weapons might need before then, and after, I will send you and your friend on your way with a gift of merchandise and water to last for weeks. He looked over at Cory beside him, whose face showed plainly enough that he was badly in need of the help. They were both nearly out of water, and half Cory's wares had been stolen by bandits a week earlier. Even so, he answered, I am not inclined to, if I am being honest. It was only two days ago that I took a challenger in the town of Kippenton, and I usually do not accept challenges so closely together. Kippenton was such a small town that Lord Braden did not seem to recognize the name of it. He grunted, and washed his fingers in the bowl once more. I will be forward with you, Master Duelist. We are all in hard times here. No, we do not want for water, but the people are restless. Riots pop up like wildfires. Heretics crawl across the southern reach. There is trepidation about the succession of our Lord Steward to his grace, King Darren. And there are even stranger rumors besides, of shadows across the desert that move like massive beasts and then vanish. His wife spoke up. My lord husband does not imply that we believe. Silence, woman! He barked and pulled his arm away from her hand. I can share the thoughts of the common folk without your constant punctuation. What I mean to say is that a performance from the country's most storied duelist would be a very welcome distraction. It need not be a lethal contest. Until yielded or until bloodied would suffice, depending on what you and the challenger agree to. Vaslo took a deep breath and let it out. He knew that so long as he was in Bradhall, only Braden could very well order him, if he wished. He also guessed that he would be asked to do this very thing. Against the great weight of other things, it was a small matter to get into a stick fight with someone, and well worth the water and gifts that would come with it. He looked over to Cory again, who looked like he was about to scream, He'll do it! and then bowed towards Lord Braden.
As you wish, he said. Five days' rest would be desired first, if I may impose on your hospitality until then. Lord Braden stood excitedly. Very good, most excellent, Master Duelist. I will have you and your companions' needs tended to. You shall have fresh food, wine brought to your rooms, and good linens which you may keep when you leave. I shall assign a servant to both your rooms as well to fetch whatever you might ask for. Master Duelist. Master Duelist, might you need any service from our armorer or smith? I am told your sword is in poor condition. My sword is always in poor condition, Vaslo answered. But if you've well worked Lindenwood here, the front disc of my buckler could be replaced. You must tell your man, though, that the same boss must be anchored back onto it. It's an heirloom. Lord Braden looked over to the steward, who nodded. It will be done, the lord assured him. I give you my leave. The city, the lower quarters, banquet hall, and courtyards are yours to enjoy at your leisure. I will escort you back to your rooms, the steward said, stepping forward. With that, and another courteous bow, Cory and Voslo left the blooming courtyard and returned to their rooms by way of the lengthy, dark hallways of the Black Tower. And for a passing moment, Voslo thought of that body in the dusty road, left in the middle of nowhere.